Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. And we're back at Keep It. This week, I am joined by Kara Brown again. And you may know her from writing on the TV show Grownish, but she also has a blog about pasta. Uh, I do. Fancypastavich.com. And uh, happy Almost Black History Month to you, Ira. I am very excited. We're getting rid of our next co-host, <laughs> <laughs> Louis Rattel, uh, for the entire month of February. <laughs> I can't protest that. Your joke works well. <laughs> uh, Lewis has written on Billy on the Street. I don't know. Did you also write Patti LuPone's remarks at the Grammys? Yes. I've also instructed her not to get down from the stage. She's still there <laughs> waiting for the audience to come back in. Uh, before we get to the Grammys, however, there was some breaking news this mm. week. Um, Omarosa is back. We just got rid of her, but she's back. She is joining Celebrity Big Brother. <laughs> Well, I mean, Omarosa's job on this planet is to wheedle her way into things like Celebrity Big Brother, so I'm not surprised. That said, my problem with Omarosa is she's like the epitome of a celebrity who says, you either love me or you hate me, when you're definitely indifferent about her. It's just like you're a lie, Omarosa. Furthermore, she's a stunt queen with no stunts. Imagine if like David Blaine just never dangled off things and instead insisted he was a great businesswoman all the time. (laughs) That's what Omarosa does. I didn't even realize... Big Brother was still on until I saw this news. First of all, I've watched every season of Big Brother. Yeah, I know. I've you're watched a Big the last Brothers eleven. Fan. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But... I watched like the first four. Okay, well, four or five. Okay, you had a TV in two thousand two. We get it. <laughs> um, you've cut the cord. I did, but no, Big Brother still exists, and it's mostly turned into a show where they get a bunch of racist white people from the middle of America <laughs> to vote out the two black cast members. <laughs> in the first three weeks, but this is Celebrity Big Brother, so who knows? This is the first Celebrity Big Brother that the U.S. is doing. It's very popular in the U.K. Okay. Tiffany Pollard has been on it Ooh. in the U.K. Oh, not here. No, in the U.K. Ooh, I would pay money to see Jonathan Shaban was on it. Who? Um, that man that's always following around Kim Kardashian. Oh. Who's not Isn't Scott Shaban? Maybe. I don't know. It doesn't know. matter. Who cares? All right. So it's not the yogurt. I know that. <laughs> um, who else has been on it? Spencer and Heidi. Oh, okay. Well, there was the famous thing also where uh, David Bowie's ex-wife was on it, and then she was informed that David had died, and Tiffany Pollard mistook it for David Guest, who was a member of the house. And she thought that David Guest died in the house with her, <laughs> and she freaked out. Like it, a full <laughs> Tennessee Williams meltdown. <laughs> I doubt we're going to get any of that on TV, but Julie Chen insists that Omarosa has a lot to say about the president, and maybe she'll spill the tea on Big Brother. I'm like, she's not going to spill the tea. There's probably an FBI agent (laughs) waiting in the house to hit her with a silencer. I also don't believe she she knows anything. anything. She She doesn't know anything. They didn't tell you shit, girl. 
Nope. You, we know they didn't tell her anything. They gave her like a desk and like a cozy coop for her to ride around in. Or, or like one of those, you know, toy phones. You have a toddler. We're like, yeah, it's a real phone. Make You can make calls. We'll pretend that you're calling us. That's what they gave her. So the other cast members that will be there with Omarosa are Shannon Elizabeth. Who is an avowed super fan. I read that and immediately thought, I've actually seen her on Twitter a thousand times talk about Big Brother. So <laughs> that's kind of cool for her. Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray. Okay. Can I add something about him? He's really smart. Do you remember He's Celebrity Rock smart. and Roll Jeopardy on VH1? He has won it twice and knew like every question. He's like one of those like music knowledge people. Okay. You know what? I like a couple Sugar Ray songs. The couple we've heard of? Very good. Yeah. All right. Keisha Knight Pulliam is joining it. Mm. Uh, now, what you, show is she on? Defending Bill Cosby. Yes. <laughs> That's the last thing she was seen doing. So really looking forward to the two black women that they picked to be oh, on this God, show. Those are the only two? <laughs> Brandy Glanville. Oh, Lord. <laughs> That's kind of the level I expected for this show, though. I'm a little. Doesn't this feel a little surreal life for a CBS show? It does feel it very does. surreal life. Also, Amarosa and Brandy might murder each other. Like, they're not going to get out of that house without a physical altercation. It's going to be like the surreal life where. Wait, wasn't Amarosa on this real life? That can't be. Janice Dickinson almost killed her on it. <laughs> I mean, you're not a human being if Janice Dickinson hasn't almost killed you, so. <laughs> Former NBA star Meta World Peace. Okay. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Ron Artest. He got in a really big fight. That was one of the things he was famous for. He got in like a brawl with a bunch of other athletes and fans. Oh, okay. So he's got, I think he's calmed down though. He started going to therapy, so. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, the only basketball person I know, I know are Blake Griffin's yep. thighs. Uh, mine's Lola Bunny. Yes. <laughs> uh, UFC heavyweight champ Chuck Liddell, James Maslow from Big Time Rush. What? Do you remember that Nickelodeon band? Oh. The non-Jonas Brothers? Yes. Yeah. Mm. I've He's actually, still hot. I actually spent a weird New Year's Eve with two of the band members from Big Time Rush. Did not understand like what Big Time Rush was, but we went to an Afrojack concert, I believe, on the pier in New York. What a flawless life you've had. I mean, it's... <laughs> I don't know that I can top that. <laughs> um, there's also Marissa Winokur. Tony Winner. And it's former co-host of The Talk, hosted by Julie Chen. So if you do the math there, mm. it's a little zany zanes. Julie's planning to torture her, yeah. is what's happening. <laughs> and uh, Ross Matthews is joining the show. Oh, God. I have to say, I feel literally bad for him. I've said the word literally 60,000 times in this podcast. Ross Matthews is very normal, and everybody else <laughs> in this house is not. <laughs> Save Marissa. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, and the final person is... Miss Columbia, Adriana Gutierrez. Good X Factor. That's a good round out to the cast. What? I know. Who? This is she's the one who either won or didn't win that pageant. I think she's the one who had the crown taken away from her. Oh, wait. Yeah, when right. Steve Harvey gave it Precisely. to the wrong person? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, who ca- Okay. Iconography. Well, okay. listen, this is, these are celebrities <laughs> in America. Can I tell you what my additional problem with this is going to be? You know Omarosa is going to drop out. She won't play the game. Once they all agree to eliminate her because they're functioning human beings who will do that to her, she'll just be like, I'm going to walk out. You know, she's not going to play by the rules. Well, luckily, Celebrity Big Brother is only two and a half weeks. 
So, what? Yes. Cause the they, whole season? Because they can't make, quote unquote, celebrities stay in a house like for three months. Wait, do they- They have so, jobs. Do they edit it for longer or it's going to be two weeks and the show's over? Correct. Well, to be fair- Big it's Brother, the other Olympics. Big yes. Brother's also on like three times a week. Okay. <laughs> That's just it. That's my favorite thing about Big Brother. Because it's on so often, it fools you into believing it's good when it's just wretched and on all the time. I mean, I could, two weeks, I can watch that. Yeah. Yeah. I could do that. Well, I hope you do. We're going to talk about it. Okay. But I'll trust me, it will feel like a lifetime. So just get ready. <laughs> the Grammy Awards made a big deal about their diverse nominations this year, only for one woman to win an award. <laughs> 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 Alessia Cara. And also, Lord was nominated for Album of the Year. Didn't even get to perform. U2 and Sting did, though. Five times. <laughs> 20 times. I don't know. I feel like U2 presented U2 with a Lifetime Achievement <laughs> Award. The Sting U2 vaudeville hour. SZA was snubbed. Janelle Monet and Kesha tried to make a Me Too moment happen, but the music industry is sort of like... Eh, we don't care. They played them out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and after criticism of giving away only awards to men and Lord not getting to perform, Recording Academy president Neil Portnow said, I think it has to begin with the women who have the creativity in their hearts and souls to step up. Women just hoarding away that creativity. <laughs> Share it, damn it. First of all, women have been stepping up since Jenna Dewan Tatum. That's so. right. <laughs> good for that joke. Thank you. Yeah. That was a good reference. Yeah, you know, I'm mm-hmm. very proud of it. Yeah, you should be. Okay. How do we feel about the Grammys? My God. I feel like the Grammys are so, they're just slipping into irrelevancy. Like, this doesn't matter. None of the winners matter. Like, they're not giving the awards to the right people. Even the fact that they had Cardi B who was the story of 2017. You didn't even have her perform Bodak Yellow. You had her like tacked on to Bruno Mars's performance. And like Cardi B had, she had the number one song for three weeks, but she also dethroned Taylor Swift. Like what she did was a very big deal. And just to sort of throw her in there, like tacked on to something, like she's... No, part of the reason too is the fact that I feel the period for which they pick things to be nominated is very weird because Cardi B was there, but I also feel like none of her songs were eligible yet. Right. Or like Alicia Cara, didn't she put that album out like a smooth two years ago? You know, she released an Instagram saying that she knows she's been around for a minute, but she wishes people would stop attacking her. Did she really? Yeah. Well, I mean, a nice black and white photo. Listen, I think that she is a very sweet girl I like imagine describing her any other way. I know other right. qualities. Uh, I say this is somebody who knows know, she has a good. You voice. know they were going to give it to her because the Grammys love like an ethnically ambiguous woman who like sings nicely. It's like the Nora Jones thing. Khalid and SZA were going to split the vote for people who listen to black music or black people making music, and then that's how you get Alicia Cara. Yeah, and, though she's fine, but like, you know. Do you know what I thought the biggest problem with this Grammys was, was that if you look at the list of performers with the exception of Cardi B, it could have been a Grammys from four years ago, which (laughs) that's what is depressing when these award shows all blend together. It's like, did I see Pink do this before? Has there ever been a Grammys where Elton John didn't perform Tiny Dancer? Probably not. With someone 20 years younger than him. Right. Yeah. Dressed like Meryl Streep. Like at an award (laughs) show. I was like, what is this dress you're wearing, girl? Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus. She looks like a matron. Yeah. Uh, I don't think gays will ever 
stand for the Grammys because it's just not as fun to debate things like album of the year because it, it's like debating what the best porn is. It's like all it's about taste. You know what I mean? It's just like you either like that thing or you don't. Whereas with movies, you can debate who told the story the best or like were the actors best served by the material, things like that. There's more fun things you can sort of quibble merits about. Yeah, you either like an album or you don't. Yeah. And also some music just doesn't really hit the zeitgeist until Late, yeah. A few months later, mm-hmm. it's very weird. But also, the Grammy Awards and their nominations are notoriously weird. So weird, and like the fact that they have alternative R and B, and then like R and B, urban contemporary. I don't know what urban contemporary means. My favorite is traditional pop. As in, <laughs> as in, how is that different from the other pop? And yet, the category is like it's about making sure James Taylor is still with us. I have no idea. <laughs> Sam Smith performed. I forgot. I, even, like, I forgot half the things that happened yes, in the show. I, I'm just. I'm trying to remember who performed. I forgot. Sam that Smith he performed. performed. Sting, as we all like said, three times. Performed. And he did sketch comedy too. And as you know, he's groundlings trained. So that was really exciting. <laughs> James Corton was also there, doing his pseudo hosting because yeah. that show does not need a host. No. It doesn't. It's very weird that they didn't just bring back LL Cool J and his Kangol hat. Right to just. Do the intro and outro, and that's all we need. Maybe they also need to not be on CBS. Right. I feel like the Grammys have been on CBS for years, and CBS is, one, a boring network, as evidenced by them (laughs) rebooting Murphy Brown and (laughs) Cagney and Lacey. Now, I did not know you were going to shame my godparents, Cagney and Lacey, and Murphy (laughs) Brown, just like you did. Magnum P.I., that can be kept. Okay, see. Yeah. yeah. CBS loves to truck out their stars from their CSI shows yeah. and whatever else is on their network to present these awards. And it always feels like an award show that isn't made for anyone under 30. Right. And when you think of music, like it's very much about who is relevant right now. And that doesn't have to be an age thing. But like there are people who were probably Bono's age making contemporary music and they just air too much on the side of like, we got to get these, you know, like got to get it for this other crowd when like younger people are making new music and like that is relevant to like the music industry right now. Speaking of relevance, by the way, here's the thing. We just said that it's super subjective what the best album is or whatever. I can't think of a single metric in which you wouldn't vote for Kendrick Lamar over Bruno Mars this year. No one would even say that's Bruno Mars's best album and he won album of the year in addition to record and song of the year. And Kendrick, I mean, if you look at Metacritic, a 95. I mean, that's like universal acclaim. There's no reason he shouldn't have won. So, And like the sales are comparable. They're both double platinum albums. It's like the last two times that Beyonce lost, right. her albums on Metacritic were rated better than Adele's Starbucks album and the Beck thing. <laughs> yeah, well, now I'll say this about that. I mean, if you want to talk about picking albums that people, you know, care about, I mean, Adele and Taylor Swift, whatever you think about them, are like their own music industries, right? Like their sales are zany zanes, you know? Whereas this year, Kendrick Lamar sold as much as the person who won. So but, I just don't but know. See, yeah. even I think even if you're making the argument, like if you're looking back at 25 and Lemonade, Lemonade was a cultural force. Like 25 was Adele sings beautifully and she sings. Lemonade changed the way we talk about things. It moved the culture forward. And so I think that's just as valuable. And it was incredibly popular. So in that way, to me, it's just as valuable as album sales as well. I think the Grammys notoriously do not appreciate black music 
musicians. It's why Jay-Z didn't go to the Grammys for a long time. Kanye hasn't showed up in a quite a while. Drake didn't bother to come. Like you have a lot of artists who are just like, this is super whack and we don't need you to be popular. And also, I would say like 30 years ago, the title of album of the year meant something cooler maybe. Like it's possible the best album was, but it's just, things have shifted so much. Like they're so dependent on four artists selling now, I guess, or so they Mm -hmm. have you believe, four white artists, I guess, that you just can't depend on that award, which is sort of the the Nobel Peace Prize of the night, (laughs) you know, being awarded justly. Well, and the thing too is the fact that they just undervalue women in general. So when people like Adele and Taylor do win, it's never for the albums that they made that were mm-hmm. culturally big. Like Adele's 25 basically redid what she did with 19, award that album, right. which was insane, and people are still buying it right. for some reason. They've thrown out their old copies <laughs> so they can get a fresh one. And Taylor Swift, back when she made Fearless, that probably deserved album of the year. It was a great album. But now it's just sort of like, we got to give it to these people. Did I tell you my gripe with Adele? What do her song titles mean? What does Chasing Pavements mean? What does Set Fire to the Rain mean? What does Rolling in the Deep mean? They're like almost metaphors and yet aren't. I've never really been to England. So if that's like colloquial T-isms, I'll never know. But to me, it just sort of seems like live journal poems. Someone like you. (laughs) That one I get. On the subject of Bruno Mars, Kara, there was a lot of action on Twitter, (laughs) if we can describe it, and other (laughs) everywhere uh, about how Bruno Mars winning was this sort of anti-black thing and black people who actually really enjoy Bruno Mars are self-hating, I guess, (laughs) because we prefer someone doing fake black music. I know, it took a while to jump into the takes. That was stupid. Also, the thing is, People have been cool with Bruno Mars for a while. Like he's, yes, he is doing an extended James Brown, Michael Jackson mashup impression. Like that, we know that. He's doing it very well. He's, you know, quote unquote, respectful to the culture. Like he's not out here doing a lot of really crazy, appropriative things. He's He's not not white. He's not ripping off. Janet Jackson's breastplate. <laughs> he's not shading Britney you know, Spears every time he releases a new album. He's he's a person like of color. I, I have no yeah. idea who that is. <laughs> who in a denim coat would do that? You know, Bruno Mars is, he's also like a person of color. I think the response was probably because he won the award over Jay-Z and Kendrick who released, you know, were two black people who make black music and released albums that were like really spoke to a black experience and black culture. And so I can sort of understand the irritation that Bruno Mars wins album of the year over those two. If this were last year and Bruno Mars won, I don't think anyone would care. So it just feels like a really it's just like you're reaching for drama. Yeah. He's so cute and also looks like a 79 year old woman. And he's such a good dancer. I'm like, look, he's doing he's doing a good job. Like, it's oh, he's not, amazing. And that's the thing. I think a he lot of Cardi times, were the best part of the show right. because the rest of the performances were like, we're whatever. Why are we here? And I think part of when people get upset about people appropriating or non-black people doing black music, a lot of times they do it poorly or they're mediocre and they get as much acclaim as black artists who are excellent. I don't think you can really make that claim with Bruno Mars. Like he's biting a sound for sure. He's but, excellent. But he's doing it so well that that it's like 
he's doing black music very, very well. So I don't think the response that people often have to that type of issue really holds for him. He's not Dusty Springsfield, you know, spending five days in Memphis. And he's not like g Easy, You know, it's like it's he's he's Thank you, old homosexual with that joke. Yeah. <laughs> And also, by the way, it does sort of feel like, not to make a similarly old claim, showmanship is going away a little bit. So when somebody can dance really well, I mean, who else is on his level? You know, it's not, shall we say, Katy Perry. It's Ben. <laughs> it's Ben Platt. That's right. Oh, he <laughs> the was queen there? of soul, Ben yeah, Platt. So there was there, there that. was there was the brief segment where the Grammys remembered Broadway exists. <laughs> Patty served it to you though. But why did she do such an old like? Don't they cry still for me, make, Argentina. Broadway still happens. She could have done a newer song. Yes, but it was she was recreating an iconic Grammy performance she did from the early 80s. That said, the- Who understood the that new, that was happening? That was, I did that not was understand a, that that was happening. That was a 10-minute subtweet at Madonna. Right, yes. <laughs> no, she should have just started voguing and you know <laughs> singing an eight-octave version of Beautiful Stranger right after. I was not super here for the performance. It just felt very weird to be like all of a sudden- Here's an Andrew Lloyd Webber <laughs> tribute. Has he won many Grammys? That's one of those people where I know he's an EGOT, but I'm not, I don't know his Grammy record. Well, because there's also so many Grammy awards that they never show you on TV. That's Most the of them. So, yeah, so it's impossible to also debate them or really get into the show because you don't know who wins things. Yeah. And then it'll be like, Oh, um, this person won an R&B album or something, but they announced it at 3 a.m. the previous day. Right, and they they switch it up every year. It's like the year that they gave the best Broadway soundtrack or whatever to Hamilton just because Hamilton was popular. They televised Dave Chappelle getting the comedy album just because it was Dave Chappelle. It's like you shouldn't be able to pick and choose every year like that. No, it's there must be what four awards presented, and then there are hundreds and hundreds of awards. I want to see Tia Carrera win that Hawaiian album award. <laughs> My girl Amy Mann also won folk album. One of four women to be awarded something on Sunday. That's exactly right. Yeah, everyone kept saying that only one woman won, but well, not in the whole. But there's like a thousand awards, so oh, like that's true. some women did win, you know, but not the ones they put on television. Okay, well. Does Amy Mann exist? On and TV? well, okay. Also, Rihanna got an award on TV. So, like Alicia Carr, she got the award with Kendrick. By the way, you know, oh, that's so right. So there was, you know, she didn't say much, but she was there. She I, was towering over Kendrick she, Lamar. <laughs> I would just like to add that everybody also has too many Grammys. Rihanna is in something like the eleven category, but weirdly, people who come from another era, like Elton John, only has five. So, like. If you're in the new rap song universe where you can collaborate with people all the time, you accidentally have like dozens and dozens of, of Grammys. I mean, Rihanna deserves her Grammys, so let's not even. Oh no, I'm, let's not this even. This is not shade towards Who's Elton John? <laughs> yeah, Fair, he's going on a farewell tour, and there's a reason. And there'll be another farewell <laughs> tour next year, honey. So get ready. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France, which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. 
Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain Mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire... Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. (laughs) Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of people who need to say farewell, how was that? (laughs) Sexy. (laughs) Alec Baldwin and Diane Keaton uh, are acting cre- out. They're creating a star. <laughs> so amidst other actors coming forward to rebuke Woody Allen, for some reason, Alec Baldwin and Diane Keaton just decided to jump out the fucking window this week <laughs> and be like, I support Woody. <laughs> Fuck everybody else. While wearing her fiercest belted trench. <laughs> She also tweeted this, too. She didn't give it as a statement to anyone. Diane Keaton tweeted this. And who gave her the Wi-Fi password (laughs) for whatever grotto 
Pieta Terra she's living in. Also, Diane Keaton, no one was confused about where you stood on this. We know. We know that you're cool with what it, you are totally cool with him. So this also was just so unnecessary where it's like, yeah, girl, we know you still like him. You're cool with a pedophile. Whatever. You didn't need to say it. <laughs> also, she just linked to a 1992 60 Minutes piece. Like, that's your hard evidence? She's like, take of, a look um, at this. Take a look at this if you you want some facts. And it's like, it's just him lying. Right. It's not, the, the other side of the story isn't presented. You're, right. you're like, you're like, I believe Woody. Listen to Woody. You know, that's, that's what you brought to us? You're, you're not like a lawyer. And Alec Baldwin's the weird one where I'm like, why are you standing? So, like, I don't get why Alec is so thirsty this week. Yeah. He, first of all, compared Dylan Farrow to a character in To Kill a Mockingbird who lied about being raped. <laughs> who was abused by her father. <laughs> Which, like, the irony, he, I mean, he's never read that book, never. obviously. No. The only thing he's read are the lines that David Mamet has scribbled on cocktail napkins and told him <laughs> to say on stage. <laughs> Here's the thing. I've never had a friend accused of pedophilia or uh, sexual assault before. You should get I, some. I, I I've know. had seven. I I can't imagine being like, I'm positive they didn't do it, no matter who they are. I just, I don't understand where they're coming from. It's like, this is clearly a narcissistic man at the very least. You don't right. know everything about him. He lives a very strange life. Also, just why? He may not survive this latest backlash where, like, we might finally, although he's super old, so he got to live his whole life as an acclaimed filmmaker and no one gave a shit. But, like, it just seems like, what do you, what is this pushing forward for you, Alec? What's the benefit here? Being a lunatic? <laughs> I just, I don't get why he keeps going, he keeps going in and he keeps tweeting and he's like, unfollow me if you disagree. Well, I'm as like, you know, he's a man of restraint and tact. <laughs> <laughs> and you can always rely on him to be your diplomatic friend. That's another reason I dislike Donald Trump. Because Alec Baldwin got his resurgence by playing Trump on SNL. Yeah. And now he thinks that he's relevant again. Well, he's also been like lionized as like this liberal, like, oh my God, yes, he's doing the impressions. That's what we need it right now. People doing really good Trump impressions. That's what's going to save us. It's like he's not, like, who cares? And by the way, that impression was mostly holding a face, which is not, <laughs> come on. Yeah. <laughs> Take a Commedia dell'arte class, <laughs> come back with some skills. <laughs> Do we think that this Woody Allen thing will settle? Is there a point where people are like, we're tired of asking about it? Or people are like, we're tired of like grilling everyone who was ever in a Woody Allen film to get to the truth? Because we sort of seem to just have factions now. Right. It's you either believe him or you don't. Why are we still talking about it? It's hard because it's hard to know what the outcome would be of we're all just like okay nobody fucks with Woody Allen anymore it's like he's he's old he makes movies super sporadically so if he never made a movie again I don't it wouldn't even be that noticeable I feel like he makes a movie every year we just don't Does, see them oh, I'm gonna say that's that's, that's why this conversation is so like boringly long-winded is because he, he does, does get a yeah. he does get a movie every year and if that stopped, maybe we would stop caring but at the same it, I got that screener of Wonder Wheel oh now I have to think about Kate Winslet knowing things. But it's weird. There are also movies that we don't culturally I didn't even know care about yeah. anymore. So it's sort of he's just working. What are you trying to say about Magic in the Moonlight? I'm going to burst into tears right here. That's what quite literally the first time I've ever heard that collection of words. Well, there was Magic and Moonlight <laughs> in it. Who was in that? 
Ira, don't ask me that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I. It's you know, it's not like maybe if they stop making the movies, I guess. But with these other men, we've sort of gotten the satisfaction, if you can even call it that, of okay, there's going to be a lawsuit, or they've lost their job, or something like that. Like I don't know what that looks like with Woody Allen where we would be satisfied that he, you know, sort of justice of some sort was served. Take away his wool sweaters. <laughs> and his damn clarinet. Break his glasses. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, take away his child bride. <laughs> I guess she's an adult bride at, at this point she in is. her life. I would like to give a shout out to Judd Apatow for tweeting last night. He's, you know, believing Dylan Farrow. It's like people who are like Judd Apatow who basically have the same job as Woody Allen. Yes, I want to hear from them. Thank you. Yes, uh, someone did drag him, though. That became a Twitter moment where people said Judd Apatow is speaking up about Woody Allen but has said nothing about James Franco. That is interesting. Mm. But we know that Judd Apatow is very selective. He is very selective. He has never said anything about Lena Dunham and her Pied Piper traipsing through Hollywood. No, I don't remember. Has she ever been wrong? I forget. She's always right. (laughs) And there was that weird period where he was supremely focused on Bill Cosby. And now he's discovered that Woody Allen did some shit. Well, he was super focused on Bill Cosby. And it's like, well, you like Bill Cosby, a monster. Yes. But like all of a sudden now you care about sexual assault because it didn't seem like you cared before and he's not the only one. So the fact that he was just drilling in on Bill Cosby when it's like, you for sure know men who have sexually assaulted women and there are all of these other terrible people out here and you don't seem, con- it does. It didn't feel genuine at all that you actually cared about victims. Well, it's mostly because we're still in that weird space where Judd Apatow was a producer on Girls. So he's still sort of connected to Aurora Perrineau, who still hasn't really gotten an apology Mm -hmm. from Lena Dunham or from Jenny Conner for being like, I believe my friend, and then just sort of disregarding (laughs) her, you know? So it's interesting how people pick and choose who they attack, and Mm -hmm. it usually, you know, depends on who people are connected to, and that's like the Alec Baldwin and Diane Keaton thing, you know? Alec Baldwin is constantly railing against Donald Trump and everything awful that he does, but he's friends with Woody Allen, you know? They, I don't know, saw Planet of the Apes um, <laughs> one Saturday afternoon at the Cineplex, and now they're bonded forever. Are you, you're shipping them now. They're, they're your fanfic people. You know, um, I didn't want to announce it on the podcast, Lewis, but I do have Alec Baldwin and Woody Allen fanfic. <laughs> sometimes they go to the movie. Sometimes they go to brunch. Sometimes they go to Mars and never come back. Whatever works. That's my Woody Allen movie <laughs> title joke. <laughs> And we're back with my favorite segment, which is Keep It, the reason we're all here, the things that we hate the most this week. Although the podcast is usually us just hating everything, (laughs) according to several users on iTunes. (laughs) I love being called negative. (laughs) Mm. Lewis, what are you keeping this week? Um, Keep it to the concept of Colonel Sanders in 2018. (laughs) I don't need to see... Reba's audition for Mad TV or whatever this is. <laughs> I'm just not 
I don't know why this has happened. Colonel Sanders is not like a culturally beloved figure. I do not need to see him reimagined. I do not need to see more celebrities congratulating themselves for putting on a silly mustache and a bolo tie. I know it's going to come down to people like Chloe Grace Moretz eventually, and I def don't want to see that. So anyway, I wonder if they'll give it to more like people from the South who can like get into their credit. You know what? I would be into Holly Hunter as that. Holly Hunter. Never mind. I love Colonel Sanders. That's how she. That's how she gets her next Oscar. Yeah, oh yeah, please. <laughs> the Colonel Sanders story. Carol, what are you keeping this week? Uh, this week I am keeping Post Malone, who is a white rapper who gave an interview. Love a white rapper. Gave an interview where he talked about the struggle of being a white rapper, and he just wants to be recognized as an artist, not as a rapper. And I will keep this short and just say the fact that we even know who Post Malone is is a testament to the fact that there is no struggle in being a white rapper. I need people like Post Malone and even Eminem and Macklemore to just one day do a sort of We Are the World USA for Africa, except the song they sing is Informer by Snow. Just the the whitest rap of all time. Informer. Wasn't Post Malone also at the top of the charts for like half of the summer? He, he, it the was fact him that he, or Cardi B or Camila Cabello. The fact, I mean, like he's even here is a, is like being a white rapper clearly is not difficult. If you were here, you have charting albums and songs. Like, dude, just take your money and be quiet. You have no idea how long he was in the pre-Malone era of his life. (laughs) Isn't he like 22? (laughs) Isn't he like a child anyway? I don't know how old these people are. I think he's young. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) My keep it of the week is the State of the Union and not just the fact that Donald Trump is giving a State of the Union address, but the fact that it seems like we're getting five different responses to the State of the Union mm. just because Trump is giving one, and I don't care. I sort of care that Joe Kennedy is giving one just because I think he's attractive, and there's been <laughs> a dearth of attractive people in politics he's definitely, for the past year. He's cuter than JFK, I do have to say. Yeah. What? You, have you seen this man? Yes. I, I would definitely I, I have say. absolutely seen him, which is why I'm so confused right now. Oh, you think he's not cute? I mean, uh, I don't know. Not your type? I, not for me. Mm, he's in the eight and a half, nine community for me. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I would watch his Zap Ruder film. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I like Joe Kennedy and... Yeah, then Maxine Waters is giving one. She's the only one who should be giving one. Yes, but it's on BT, so I mean, Post Malone's probably gonna <laughs> rap <laughs> after it. And then Bernie Sanders is giving one. And listen, I don't have a lot to say about Bernie Sanders because I don't think about him, but I just want to say that I tweeted "Keep it" about Bernie Sanders giving his own response to the State of the Union, and a lot of people crawled into my mentions. I saw that. Yeah. Well, he um, doesn't have many zealous fans. That's very shocking. I know. <laughs> um, I just want to get something straight for the record for the people who just met me in 2018. I'm not a Bernie Sanders fan, so get used to it. <laughs> I bet you'll like him as the colonel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to talk about him until like 2020 when maybe he decides to run again, but... I don't know why people assumed that I love this person. Well, because you're black and, you know, he wants to save us. He does want to save us. Well, you know what? By not ever talking about race, that's how he (laughs) wants to save us. 
<laughs> by the fact that poverty has no color. <laughs> He's a little bit like Melania and her cyberbullying thing. <laughs> she solved that, right? Yeah, well, she you know, <laughs> she's probably giving a State of the Union <laughs> right. address, too. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Thank you, Kara and Lewis, for once again joining me on Keep It. Kara, tell people where they can find you. They can find me on Twitter at Kara R. Brown. And you can also read my really cool pasta blog called FancyPastaBitch.com. And Lewis, tell people where they can find you during the month of February where you will not be in the studio. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to Aruba. Um... Uh, I'm at Louis Vertel, L-O-U-I-S-B-I-R-T-E-L. It sounds French, it's not. And I will stay on Twitter until someone just tells me to get off. Well, February 1st, that's what you've got. Okay. Yeah. 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 So long, everyone. Yeah. (laughs) Au revoir, as Catherine Deneuve would say. (laughs) When we're back, I'll have an interview with Hollis Wong Ware, lead vocalist of The Flavor Blue. I am here with Hollis Wong Ware, musician and songwriter and lead vocalist of The Flavor Blue. How's it going? Really good. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you here, especially during Grammy week. Yeah, the post. (laughs) The afterglow. (laughs) There's a lot going on. The after meh. Let's just jump right into it. Grammy chief Neil Portnow made headlines this week mm-hmm. when he said that women who want to be musicians, engineers, producers, and want to be part of the industry on the exec level need to step up. This was in response to people saying that this year's broadcast was very male-dominated mm-hmm. and, of course, you know, on air only one woman won. Yeah, well, Rihanna won for the loyalty. But, yes. And won in our hearts and minds for her performance. So. Of course. Wild, wild, wild. No, it's true. And it's really unfortunate that such an incredible like disparity in terms of acknowledgement and recognition of 
women musicians, um, let alone producers, engineers, what have you, would come with this statement from the Recording Academy president. And it stung, especially for me, you know, like I have been, not currently, but have been a paying member of the Recording Academy. I've given $100 in cold, hard cash of my hard-earned ass money (laughs) to this establishment in which, like, what I hated about his statement was not only the insinuation that we need to step into the industry. Like, I think that's what's so enervating about these dudes that are in positions of power where they really see where women have to lean in or step up and that we have to do shit. Yeah. (laughs) Really. You're already there. We're already doing it. (laughs) We're doing it harder than you are, dude. Um, But then it's also just, you know, really disheartening because, you know, at the end of the Grammy telecast, it was one of those things where my first thought was like, wow, you know, I should get back into the Recording Academy as a member and I should try to get a leadership position. Like I should rise through the ranks so that I can call out what is so clearly such a overwhelming amount of dude energy and inertia and how is it ever going to change can it change from the inside and and can you know women really rise to a place where these discrepancies are going to be called out but then you know furthermore for him to say oh women have to find it in their hearts and souls and just like i hated like the <laughs> gendered notion i'm like well actually it takes a lot of like skill and intellect and tenacity and our intellectual capacities in order to perform at this level it's not just like within our hearts and souls and then we're just going to puke it out of our organs and then we're going to win a grammy like it's so <laughs> ridiculous the other thing that was really that I've been mulling about in my head is that there was actually a study that came out, I think, last week by the Annenberg School of Communication and Journalism at USC that was titled Inclusion in the Recording Studio. And it studied the Billboard Hot 100 everywhere uh, or from uh, 2012 to 2017, which I'm pretty sure that the song that I was a co-writer on is included in that chart from 2013. So it was kind of wild to see something that I had a tiny little part of. Okay. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> But, you know, so in analyzing 600 popular songs from 2012 to 2017, it demonstrated that only 22.4% of the artists represented in those 600 songs were women at all, which I think sometimes we don't even think about. Like, we just kind of assume that there's just because women are commodified in general in our society, that women are going to be as equally represented in the music industry, which is one of the hottest and most universal commodities in our society, um, as men, which is not the case. And the way vast majority of those are solo artists and like in bands and duos, it's like a marginal amount of women representing. Yeah. So I was looking at the study a bit um, earlier with you. And the thing that really struck me, too, was the fact that, you know, like as a gay music listener, I feel like I listen to a lot of women. I listen to a lot of pop stars, you know, Britney, Demi, Beyonce, Rihanna, but you never really look at the production credits for these things and you find out there's a lot of men have been writing these songs for them mm-hmm. for decades. And when you see people with, you know, like Rihanna is at the top of the list as a songwriter, it's because, you know, it's her song and Nicki Minaj is on there because it's her song, whereas the list of men, it seems the it's Max Martin, Benny Blanco, Dr. Luke, Circuit, like the top five. To say, I mean, Drake's artists. the only artist that like cut through. He had <laughs> over the last 600 songs, he had 25 of those credits. Shout out to Drake. Yeah. Undeniable hit maker. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, if you look at the top male songwriters, the top eight male songwriters versus the top female eight songwriters, you're right. The top eight female songwriters are artists that we're familiar with. Nicki Minaj, Rihanna, Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, Adele, Sia. 
Stara is number six, and she's the only artist. She's the only writer, the only songwriter that's really up there that's been writing hits for stars and isn't necessarily herself like a a list artist. Even though she's dope, shout out to Stara. People don't even know. Wiki her. But if you look at the men, it's all producers and it's all people who are really truly crafting culture and crafting sound. And a lot of these dudes are like Swedish men who don't leave the studio. And like, what does that mean when the way that we experience music is out in the world? Literally the first time I remember paying attention to pop music creators was like the Britney era Mm -hmm. in the 2000s when I was like, oh, these are all Swedish men crafting her pop songs. Um, And they basically dominated the late 90s and the 2000s. And it's how we perceive pop music now. Mm -hmm. When you think of like Toxic, you think of like all of the songs that were influenced by artists like Britney. It's a bunch of men from Sweden. (laughs) (laughs) Quite men. Um, and then the number that really like shocked me, honestly, even though I know this from lived experience, but I think it's easy to even kind of like low key gaslight myself, like as somebody who, you know, I rarely do I work with other women. Like I know one engineer, literally one engineer in, in Hollywood that's working in L.A., like producers. I, I know like maybe two that I met once and the vast majority of the people that I work with are men. And that has just been so normalized to me that when I saw the statistic that only 12.3% of songwriters are women, it's so such a low number and it so resonates with my lived experience, but I didn't even really, I think, allow myself to think about it numerically. So to see that on paper was really kind of shocking, but also really affirming. And then furthermore, only 2% of the producers that made the top 600 popular songs in the last six years were women, 2%. And literally only two of those were women of color. Literally two women of color over the last producers of like the last 600 songs of popular music that we all know. And it's it is shocking, but it's not surprising, I suppose. So when things like the Grammy happen, like, you know, these award shows are always just symptomatic of, of greater structural issues, obviously, like, as you know, in your industry with Hollywood and as we know with music and so many of the other, you know, award shows and music are such vanity projects, like they're clearly just like promotional vehicles. And I think Grammys is kind of the one that kind of purports to have a true like merit backing, even though obviously it's all kind of the glitz of it. But it's sobering and disturbing, to be honest, that not only that these disparities would be so real, but also that the head of the Recording Academy wouldn't be aware of how grave these numbers are before he fixed his mouth to say a thing about women not stepping up. What's interesting, too, is that when you contrast that with the Academy, you know, with the Oscars, there's still a lot of work to be done, but there's a woman who's at the head of it, and she understands diversity and there's been a push to you know sort of change the body of the voting academy for the upcoming oscars whereas if the president of the grammys is saying this you know there's not where is the opportunity for what janelle monet was like asking for at the grammys you know for a real times up initiative push within the music industry for women to get equal pay to get, you know, opportunities to be songwriters, opportunities to be producers, because they're out there. They're not at the top of the charts because they don't have major labels pushing them and hiring them. Exactly. And like, how disturbing was it that, you know, the big moment of solidarity amongst women was Kesha emotionally performing a song that her, you know, alleged abuser would be profiting off of. 
Yeah, because he's inherently still a producer. He's still a pretty no. He still owns her shit. Yeah. Like I mean, that's the thing too. Is like it's so deeply entrenched, and especially the way that the music industry dispossesses artists of their creative capital from jump. Anyway, that's just like the way that the industry is structured for people to monopolize. Like, Doctor Luke should have been our fall from grace, right? Like, obviously, like his abuse wasn't as pervasive as Harvey Weinstein's, but his reputation certainly is there, and people know that he's a scumbag, right? Sorry, mm-hmm. you scumbag. So, like, I think you know there hasn't been that emotive catharsis because literally like the impact has not been felt. There's still the same profit vehicles that people say words, but at the end of the day, the structure is still in place and hasn't really been disrupted in any way. So I don't think that the reckoning has happened in music at all. Like, I think there's a long way to go before the actual structure and actual accountability is in place. And I don't even think that they've scratched the surface in any way. I want to thank you for being here, Hollis. Thanks. Tell people where they can find the Flavor Blues music. Yeah, check us out. The Flavor Blue, T-H-E-F-L-A-V-R-B-L-U-E. Um, you can find us on any platform. Spotify. Spotify, Apple Music, you know, all that, all that. Um, we appreciate the listenership. And I'm excited to rock your Keep It party on Thursday as yeah, well. It's a launch party for the podcast. It's going to be um, Tickets are sold out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Flavor Blue is a mix of hip-hop, pop, R&B. Hollis is the lead vocalist. They're dope. Check them out. I want to thank Kara and Lewis for being here once again with me. And I also want to thank Hollis wong Ware from The Flavor Blue. Check out their music. It's dope. This has been Keep It. I'll see you next week. I'm going to figure out this recipe. That's my impression of Helly Hunter (laughs) winning an Oscar as Colonel Sanders. (laughs) All these spices in the recipe for the chicken. I love it. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff, like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.